Hi, I'm Pernell of Rhythm and Pixels. We wanted to lead off this episode by giving you a heads up that the excellent artwork that you see as our episode banner was crafted by the owner and proprietor of the ever-excellent Witchy Soulless Sanctuary. If you like the art and you would like to see more of the art and possibly commission a piece of your own, please reach out to her at soulless-sanctuary.tumblr.com or her Facebook page at facebook.com slash soulless sanctuary all one word and in the event that you did not like the artwork and you don't know what's going on what the heck are you missing out on this is some quality stuff anyway hope you enjoy the art and i hope you enjoy the episode ready i like i like the theme song too now someone recently mentioned picturing a theme cartoon opening to it and now i can't get that out of my head Welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. Um, every week we get together, we hang out, and we listen to great video game music of classic era, of the modern era, all consoles and all generations. All timelines. And if we like it, we will play it. And um, if we don't, we might still play it, because if we had to suffer, you might have to too, <laughs> but you know. Yeah. So um, this week we decided to look at something a little bit more... Um, a little bit more popular, a little bit more something that everyone can relate to, and that's going to be cartoons of the 80s and the 90s. Wait, there was a time structure here? <laughs> well, it turned into it because we started researching, I started researching cartoons of this era, and I discovered that so many of these cartoons were just bizarre, crazy, oh, but fantastic, and really and fun to get into. Ways. And of course, the video games at the time did not have the technology to get into it, so. Um, did not have the technology to create anything uh, more close to what the source material was, so here we are. Honestly, the other self ends up rocking up to being pretty interesting because you'll have these game, these cartoons or shows where they'll have this pretty like involved premise, but then when it comes time to do the actual game, it's like, what do we do? Well, we'll give the guy a gun yeah. and let him hop across crazy worlds that he never explored in the show because that's what kids like, right? And it's cheap to produce. All right, so we're going to listen to some music. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the um, uh, the, pro uh, the IPs, you know, the... The, the actual show. The, the, the actual, I actual shows. <laughs> actual. I'm and the way. actual games. So, <laughs> Pernell, why don't you uh, kick us off with your first game, your first track? Sure, we'll I can do that. Yeah. Well, the first one I wanted to go with was from a show that I did not expect to come to mind when this topic hit, but it was a perfect choice. It was just perfect. And this show, or rather the game, was called Widget the World Watcher. And the track that we're choosing is the stage one theme, and the title of the stage was just called Mega Slank, composed by Shinji Tachikawa. <laughs> Mega Slank. Mega Slank. Do you know what Slank means in the context of Widget the World Watcher? I don't think Widget the World Watcher knows the context of Slank. All right, well, that's <laughs> all right. Uh, Widget the World Watcher for the NES.
Stage one, Mega Slang, composed by Shinji Tachikawa. So, first and foremost, the way the game itself, actually, I'll go into the show itself first, then we'll get into the game. So, the premise for Widget the World Watcher, for those who are not familiar with it. So, Widget the World Watcher sounds terrifying. Yes, but he was not a gear monkey, and he was not scary. Though they tried to make him scary for a brief moment in the first episode. But the idea, this this show came out during the age when society was trying to teach children how dangerous it was to screw up the environment. We had Captain Planet. We had... I don't know, what is that, cartoon all-stars, but that was more so for drug use, but the same logic, don't do bad things, children. And then we had Widget, the world watcher. Idea being, he's an alien from a completely distant star. And this star is inhabited by people that for some reason give two hoot magoots about what's going on in other people's planets (laughs) and keeping them pure and secure. So he accidentally launches himself to Earth when it was supposed to be a more experienced watcher who's going down to monitor our planet. But then, as a result of the mix-up, he is still tasked with the job of stopping poachers and saving whales with the help of his new human friends who just happened to walk into a beach cove when he landed because clearly no one else saw this thing land but these three kids. I don't know. So what kind of powers does he have to protect the world from these horrible forces or or to, to put the world onto its right path? All right, well, first and foremost, he has terrible slang. You cannot save the world without terrible slang. I cannot, I cannot enforce that enough. Um, but in addition to that, he also has shape-shifting powers, which he is bad at using. So he might want to turn into a rhino, but instead he'll turn into a flamingo with a rhino's head. Or a six-tentacle Sligglesloth, which is a monster from a planet that is not Earth. But uh, it's just an entertaining thing to watch this show because... Again, they gave him, like, fake slang. Slang that didn't exist, but they wanted him to have catch on buzzwords. Like, Jazz and Jupiter. That's his big thing. Jazz and Jupiter. Um, That was his shtick. And he could talk to animals so he could understand their plight. But the animals just spoke like New Yorkers. So it didn't really all that work out that well. He was like, hey there, man. What you doing in our cage? I'm here to help you, you know, you're, I'm an alien who wants to help. Well, we're hungry, see, you know, it's like, just goes out as terrible, terrible line. Going like weird, like 19, like 60s, like 1970s lingo, like they would in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Pretty much, but it's more like the 90s style of it, 90s. because every show had that. Like, remember Cowabunga, though it was a surfer term, it didn't become popular, right, so the turtles made it a thing. Um, red, gnarly, tubular. Terrible terms that we don't use anymore. But back in the 80s and 90s, they ran rampant because television made them so. I don't like the way you just judge me on my lingo. On my language, pernell. Well, you just have to (laughs) jazz and Jupiter deal with it, sir. Well, we're going to jazz it on to our next track. We're going to stay on the Nintendo Entertainment System. This is from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, The Manhattan Project. So what do you know about this one, pernell? I know that it takes place in Manhattan, and there's a lot of worksmanship involved. Well, like a lot of our tracks tonight, it's um, produced by Konami, so we have a lot of amazing composers on this track. This one is composed by Tomoya Tamita, and this is called Scene One for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Manhattan Project. Thank you. 
Oh, yeah. So you know an NES track is good when it has a bridge. <laughs> like when they actually took part of the memory of the cartridge to actually program a bridge into their own track. So again, this is a from this is scene one from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, The Manhattan Project, composed by Tomoya Tamita. Um, she is a Konami classic composer of um, Mega Man fame. Oh, yeah, makes sense. I can kind of hear some little Mega Man bits in here, too. I feel like this could just have been like cartoon themes meant to sound like Mega Man themes, and we'd have been totally okay. <laughs> Absolutely, because this rules. I'm a big fan of this. So, like, the Turtles... I'm not sure how many people in this room are familiar with how big the Turtles were. The answer should be all of you. But the Turtles <laughs> began as a Mirage Studios comic book series that eventually became a cartoon. And at the time, only comic aficionados really knew what the heck Turtles were. It just kind of plopped onto, like, in our area, Philly 57. It just plopped on the TV one. Just, wow, that's nonsense. throwback. Because, like, yeah, get down, oh, man. You got to know. But, um... <laughs> So the show starts up, there's only initially like three or four episodes, like one specific story arc, and it introduced us to four teenage, for some reason teenage, turtle brothers who were originally turtles, who mutated into humans because they were near a not teenage old man who also was a master of the martial arts somehow. Um, and it's interesting because it was a very entertaining show, but at the same time it never really got like, the violence was all cartoonish. Mm. The characters themselves never really seemed to take the stress of their predicament to to start to heart. Well, it was always like, comedic. There was like a period of the 90s where they were just obsessed with ninjas. Like ninjas were everywhere and we just had to find them. You know, like deep down everybody had like a ninja spirit. Like I don't know what was going on with cartoons in the 90s. But here's the thing I but found everyone had the potential to kill each other, especially children. Oh, but here's what's <laughs> beautiful about that. So, for those who might not know because you might not if you weren't into the comics originally, but in the original comics, the adversaries of the turtles was from Shredder and the Foot Clan. In the comic books, the Foot Clan were humans. Humans that could get hurt with bladed weaponry, all of which Donatello had. All but Donatello had. But in the show, in order to make it kid-friendly, they turned the Foot Clan to robots, so that now they can actually use their weaponry on them and not expose kids to blood and guts and gore. So, it's interesting to see that they, they tried to make that a thing, but they, at the same time, rarely actually used their weapons in combat. They would hold the weapons, but then use like martial arts to kick the robots in the walls and like trip them. Well, because we, are, we are in a theater, and so I have to say that the second like live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, they were not allowed to use their weapons. Wait, what? The studios forbade them from 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 showing actual violence on screen, <laughs> which is why they never like took out their their uh, their bow staff or their katanas. There was no violence. That explains the illogical like, concept of like a giant mutant turtle, two <laughs> mutant turtles being summoned to fight them and they're just standing like well we're just gonna dance and get really panicked because that's what we do when we're forbidden to use our weapons now i have something for you that might make you a little violent <laughs> i'm assuming it's a i don't know katana blade but this is a special quiz just for pernell we might have some people in the audience chime in if you would like to but this is um classic cartoons did it have a video game Okay. So I found a whole bunch of classic cartoons from the 80s and the 90s, and I wanted to know, did it have a game for a, a, a home game console? So arcade is out of the picture. Arcade's going to be in the picture too, but not PC, because on the computer, especially in like the, the, the early 90s and mid-90s, there, like, there was an edutainment title for anything. Okay, so, so I, no, I no slot to, machines, no Tiger Electronics. Right, no, I had to leave that out. So I'm gonna Big start, heavens. So I'm going to give you a title, and you got to tell me if there was a game for it, okay? 
And I'm going to start out super simple. Okay. Right, speed Racer. Course. Yes. There was one for the Super Nintendo, PlayStation, and the arcade. All right. See, I'm Which feeling awesome. Good. I, I didn't know they had an arcade. Right. All right. Now we're going to get weird. Johnny Quest. Johnny Quest didn't. He did have a game. He did not have a game. That's some bull crap. <laughs> How would he not? That scene is, it was a perfect setup for Johnny Quest. He had a PC edutainment title called The Cover Up at Roswell. <laughs> that is some lost opportunity right there. All right, here's a fun one. Okay. Doug. As in Doug Funny? Yes, Super Nintendo. Yeah. Well, you, no, well, unless I missed that one, but there was one for the Game Boy, just called Doug. I bet there was Super Nintendo. I've seen it, because he, he, he did the whole Quail Man thing. Oh, that's right. Quail Man was, he put like underwear over his pants, over his shorts. That makes any man super. Well, it certainly gives you the confidence to go outside. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, Bobby's World. Of course, that was Super Nintendo too. Wow. All right, here we go. Now we're getting, now we're getting a little stranger here. Um, we're going to go to Denver, the last dinosaur. No. Are you sure? Don't do that to me. It did not. <laughs> You're correct. I was about to say, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs had a game, though. Oh, absolutely it did. Um, also Konami. Um, if actually, Konami had a thing for making a beat-em-up. You should ask one of these guys to see. I'm curious to see anything. All right, here we go. Are you there in the front? I don't know who you are. How about uh, Wacky Races? Remember Wacky Races with Dastardly, Muttley? Yeah, yeah, they had Yeah, they had a bunch. <laughs> they had a whole bunch. I was yes. just thinking, like, what if you're like you were a kid, like on Christmas, like, what I want for Christmas? I want for my Super Nintendo. I want the game Doug. Get me Doug. Well, you gotta remember though, <laughs> Doug was popular. The only real problem. Oh, the was... show was popular, but the whole popularity of the show came from that character not being popular. He was like just down on himself, like super depressive. But the kids knew the truth. Doug was awesome. He had that cool. He had that cool imagination. And whenever he would go into a dream, he'd go. Choo, 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 choo. I can't make that sound in my brain, but this kid clearly could. All right, I'm I gonna, was envious. I'm going to finish up this quiz, and we'll get on to our next track, all right? Works for me. Right, here we go. Um, we got Voltron. No. Ah, nah. It came out just last year for the PlayStation VR. That doesn't count. That's a game based on the remake, the remake of the show. We're talking old version, not this nonsensical new mess. All right, I'm going to end it right there until uh, you start swinging over here. <laughs> Uh, uh, what's our next track for now that we're going to listen to today? All right. So this is kind of an obvious choice, but I, I have to do it because I had a chat with a friend about this, and it's, it's too perfect not to reference this cartoon. So the track is from a game that, surprisingly, we've never picked from before in the history of our show, and that's from the game Super Mario Brothers 3, and it is the athletic theme composed by Koji Kondo. tracks right now from the, from the Nintendo Entertainment System all sounding completely different. The, the Nintendo had the, the, the ability to have three channels of audio, which are two square waves, two just simple pulse waves, a triangle wave, which was as close to a sine wave as they could get for um, a bass sound, and then a noise channel. This track and the track from, all I want to say is Gidget. It's not Gidget. <laughs> Let's just go with that because I wish Gidget had a game. Widget, Widget. Um, only use those four Gidget channels. Gidget the world is, surfer. They can get a lot of mileage out just using those four channels. Um, the last track from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sounds like it had like a whole lot more going on. Konami produced a, a, a separate chip called the VRC6, which they put in a lot of their, their cartridges. 
And that started a whole thing. Well, what it did was it allowed an extra sound channel to be played. So it sounded like a lot more music was coming out of the system. But this started a whole thing with Nintendo where they would, all of these companies were like, you know, we, did not, we didn't have enough processing power. We didn't have enough sound channels. So they would produce these sound chips. They produced these, um, these video power chips, like the, the VFX or whatever they did for, um, for the Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And they would stuff them into these cartridges. And so half of the hardware power of the system wasn't in the system anymore. You were buying it in the cartridges. So if you had four games, you essentially had four like completely new game processors. Something worth noting about our show. Yeah, it was fascinating. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> but and then everyone loves to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, people do. It's just that I always find it interesting that so Rob, aka the rhythm of the show, he is very well versed in the rhythm of the group oh. transformed by the ooze and the, oh, wait. Okay, I take that back. I'll be rhythm for the duration of the episode. But Rob is very knowledgeable on the tech that goes into our beloved game consoles and the sound that they all output. And it's awesome to hear. And being that I have no understanding of any of that, I am learning about it at the same time you are. So it's always interesting to come across it. And best of all, if it ever comes up on a future episode, I've already forgotten it, so I'm learning it again. It is glorious. Yeah, if it's about the old school hardware, I'm pretty nerdy about it. But it's just interesting to me how the composers went about using such few channels. And by channels, these are like monophonic channels. It's like only having four keys on a piano. That's all you've got. It's not like you can play a chord. You can play one key. Well, you know what they say. It's not the, it's not the number of channels you got. It's how you play them. That exactly. Count. And so Koji Kondo, what the, one of the original classic Nintendo composers with Mario Brothers, every note was very specific to convey you know, how he felt about the game. So now, simple but effective. Yeah. For some reason, we're only getting one channel out of this little speaker down here, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. So I got to go I, I gotta let you slide on this one. This is not based on a cartoon. No, the cartoon. Yeah, I'm going to go with that because I want to talk about this thing here. So, this cartoon's bizarre. Another case of if you weren't around for the air, but I believe everyone here has been, was at the time. Mario 3 wasn't just a game. Mario 3 was a phenomenon, a cultural phenomenon. When this game came out, it had a, I think I want to say this is like the first time a movie was developed with the sole purpose of pushing a game into the limelight. You watched a two-hour terrible movie because you wanted to watch five minutes of clipped footage from the game you wanted your mom to buy you next month. <laughs> it was amazing. And honestly, when I got the game, it was pretty much surprisingly gifted under my mom's passenger seat. She was like, reach under the dairy and you know, find like, I dropped a grocery can or some nonsense down there. I was like, oh my God, I can <laughs> And um, <laughs> I took it home, it was amazing. The stories of you getting games as a child is like amazing. Like I love like the, the bargain bin finds. Oh, like the yes. weird Mickey Mouse games that like people only ever rented, and you're like, oh, I had that one. <laughs> How did you have that? I played My that dad one. was a cheapskate. I spent like a whole month in the summer playing just that Mickey Mouse game. <laughs> Why would you play a game that was bad? Because we had no money, and we were very bored. But, so, after the game you came out... outside? No. No. Not go outside. People were out there. Would you do that? No. 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 <laughs> so, after the movie, which then led to the game... Then came the cartoon, which was based on the game. Except for the fact that it was very, very loosely based on the game. I was talking to a buddy the other day. We were talking about, like, just general political nonsense. And I remembered something bizarre. It's a really nice way to put that. <laughs> there was an episode of the Super Mario Brothers 3 cartoon that talked up politics in the way that it will never... Like, it's, it's relevant today. 
What was the plot? Well, Koopa has a bunch of children, and those kids are jerks. Some are stupid, some not so much, but one in particular had a cool idea. All these mushroom people are too happy, and they get along, and they do things without thinking to help their fellow mushroom, and we hate that. What can we do to stop them from doing it? And the one goes, I have this great idea. I'm gonna come up with two colors of paint. That's the invention. He gave it a dumb name, he called it Koopa Goopa, but it was really just blue paint and red paint. And they flew across the kingdom and they threw the paint out of their flying ship and it just splashed on random mushroom people. And they never tried to wash it off. And it perfectly coated each and every one. It wasn't like blots across their skin, it was just, I'm blue now. And he's red now. So then, the next scene, they both, the two of the kids went out with masks and colors matching the paint, and they started spreading dirty rumors about the other colored mushrooms. Wait a minute. Those red mushrooms like to steal crops and not pay for them. Those blue mushrooms, they're just violent. This is like a Crips blood situation. Yes. <laughs> this is terrifying. In another parallel, the, the colors of, you know, the two political parties are. So Mario's repping his colors. Luigi's repping his not colors. Yet, not yet. Oh, no. Not yet. At first, they're not thinking about it because they got painted too. But they're like, ah, we got to stop them. The mushroom people are going crazy. They're weird. So they try to step in there. And then they have a random bizarre argument during their attempt at stopping the mushrooms from fighting. And for some reason, they decide they want to fight too. Oh, you're just like those other blue mushrooms, Mario. What's your deal, man? And then the Mario brothers break up. <laughs> because they're two different colors of paint. The band breaks up. Oh, man. And of course, by the end of the episode, they have to settle their differences to stop the Koopa kids. And by they save the mushroom kingdom by giving everyone a collective bath. So Bowser's whole plan is to divide the brothers with paint, <laughs> with paint, with paint, with paint. So they eventually they say they eventually wash themselves off. They wash themselves off and, and they're brought to realize that they're the same because they're all made to realize that the princess was in trouble. I was going to work oh, together. Was, to I, save I, my her. next question was, which way did the peach go? <laughs> which did the peach go? Which way the did peach go? didn't get painted. She was in her house watching TV the whole time. So she didn't get caught when they got splashed, which goes to leave you to wonder. Was she the only person indoors? Well, that's right. That's why you love Princess Peach more than any other character. That's right, because she it. knows to watch television and not get involved in nonsense. <laughs> Stay inside and play video games. You won't get in any, <laughs> any trouble. So at the end of the episode, basically, Mario comes up to the front of the camera and he goes, it's not about the color of your skin, it's what's inside that counts. And that's the end of the episode. Oh so... The show and John, I almost wanted to give you a quiz. I thought about it, but oh I'd rather just run down the line. Oh, so thank God. <laughs> they had such episodes as, I don't know, the princess takes a vacation and goes to Hawaii where she learns how to surf and she falls in love with a surfer dude, but she has to come back to the Mushroom Kingdom because Mario and Luigi were fooled by a robotic version of Princess Peach that did not speak perfect English. It was... Terrible. But Luigi was into it. Oh, he, they, were, they were both cool about it. There was another episode where the princess, because it always seems to be about the princess, was obsessed with the famous 90s band, Millie Vanilli. And oh, was there a, was Millie Vanilli? They were in the episode like and they legit, sung, legit. they sung Blame It On The Rain oh. during the episode. So it turned out that Koopa's daughter also liked Millie Vanilli, so she goes and kidnaps them from their concert in New York and teleports them to the Mushroom Kingdom. And only Princess Peach, dressed in punk attire for some reason, because that's what Millie Vanilli's all about. Well, that's what Luigi's all about. <laughs> he should be. 
Um, they work together to save them and get them back to their lip-syncing ways in America. Um, it, it just so many bizarre episodes you of that show. Fell down this rabbit hole, and it's a it's a fantastic rabbit hole to fall down because they're just terrible, terrible plots. But it was the Mario Brothers, and it was Mario 3, so you kind of didn't care. Yeah, you just wanted to be a part of the nonsense. It was like the Turtles. You, you saw it, you just wanted more of it, right? Oh, the Turtles had some ridiculous plots, too. <laughs> Did you know about the episode where Shredder wanted to find where the Turtles were located, their lair? He could never figure out how to take robots to search the sewers to find Turtles. <laughs> that loved to party. I don't know, but anyway, <laughs> he got the idea to open a pizza restaurant with the idea being that uh, he'll wait for a pizza delivery order with <laughs> toppings so weird that it has to be the Ninja Turtles. So he had a commercial. He actually paid production value costs to have a commercial to advertise Weird Pizza. That was the name of the restaurant. Just a weird, it was called Weird Pizza. He's like, do you want marshmallows? You want sardines? You want I don't know, turpentine, you can have it on these pieces because we'll give you anything you want. Can you imagine <laughs> the storeroom for this place? All the ingredients, they had the store they and a put, New York-sized pizzeria. They just back up to a Target and they need something, they just grab it. But this is New York! You Target in itself is like in a place where you can't park a car and load it up. It was just, the plot was so nonsensical, but it was amazing. Dumb. So the, the, the Mario Brothers, okay, so they had a race relations episode. Did they have a lot of environmental episodes as well? Actually, yes. Yeah, they, they had, had an episode. Had oh, my God. They had an episode. This is from the normal Mario show, not Mario 3, though. But it had an episode where King Koopa decided to go to the real world to throw away all of his garbage because he was tired of dealing with handling it in the Mushroom Kingdom. But for some reason, <laughs> Koopa's pollution had a side effect of turning humans into reptiles. So... Not just reptiles, by the way, brainwashed reptiles, because clearly nothing translates to, you know, mind control like someone else's garbage getting all over your body. But anyway, I digress. So eventually the Mario <laughs> brothers go back to Brooklyn to try to stop Cooper from polluting it with his own garbage because they don't have enough room for their own garbage, which they clearly love to throw around. So why take someone else's trash on, right? And Mario gets splashed with trash and becomes, starts to transform into a, you know, a Koopa man who has a tail and everything. And by the end of the episode, he just turns full reptile as Luigi somehow saves the day by getting all the trash transported back to Koopa's castle with magic and stuff. Whatever. <laughs> but yes, they had environmental relations on the Mario Brothers. They had an episode where they went to rap land and everything they said was in rap lyrics. They did everything on that show. And it was absurd and we loved it. We loved every They did it. actual elections. <laughs> they, they, did they did an election episode. Bowser said, I'm tired. Like, I, I want to take over the kingdom. And Peach goes, you know, I'm tired of this. Why don't we just have an actual election and find out if people want you around? And he goes, sure. So he drinks, he takes drugs to be nice. <laughs> and that's how he comes about trying to win. He takes drugs to be nice. Wait, he takes drugs to be nice. Yes. Okay. What? And that's how they stop him. That's the best part. Wait, they stop him by taking his drugs away <laughs> so that he can't be nice anymore. It makes no sense. It's like, if anything, you want to make him OD on the drugs, so he'll show. always be nice, and he'll stop being Koopa. <laughs> it would have been amazing. But they didn't think like that. They said, we need to be evil again. I think the show broke you. <laughs> oh, it did! I've never seen you go off on anything. Like you've a, gone off on this. It's an amazing idea for a show. They had an episode where Toad had brothers who were pro wrestlers, <laughs> because that's what you do. Oh, did they wear masks? No! Oh. 
They they had last year, for example, they did have luchador match. Why am I weirdly disappointed? Ah, but like, so what happens is he's delivering money to an orphanage for the princess. He falls asleep at the door. They bring the money into the house without him knowing it. He thinks Koopa stole the money. So rather than tell the truth about it, here's the lesson of the show, kids. He goes to the, his brothers and says, hey, here's a wrestling tournament where the prize is the exact amount of money that was stolen from me. Let's enter the tournament and win the money. Of course, the Koopa kids learn about it, and Koopa also had the idea to win that money because as a villain, he couldn't just steal the money. He had to win it illegally in the wrestling tournament. So he drugs his brothers, knocks them out, and now the Mario brothers <laughs> drug his brothers, knocks them out. Them. You know, like, and then he goes to the Mario brothers. He goes to the Mario brothers. Like, like, you're saying all of these things like so quickly, but they're so crazy. Because that's the show! It made no sense! They become... He gets the Mario Bros. to sub as wrestlers! I feel like... Pro wrestlers! You're seeing, like, weird conspiracy, like, theories within the show. Like, like there's a there's a message that it's telling only you because you binge-watched it all last night <laughs> in preparation for today. It was so weird, got man! Got me a little concerned. So we're going to move away from the NES for now. But no! <laughs> we're going to move away from the NES into the, uh, the 16-bit era of the, uh, the mid-90s. Are we talking about pro-wrestling mushroom people? No, we're going on to the Sega Genesis, for now. Oh, so pro-wrestling, I don't know, hedgehogs. And I'm sure there was a pro-wrestling episode of Mighty Max. Remember Mighty Max? Oh, that was my jam. All right, so Mighty Max for the Sega Genesis. This one's composed by Matt Furness. So that means that a lot of these um, cartoons and movies are getting produced into video games. We're getting outsourced to companies in England, mainly. And so we started hearing a lot more from Western composers who were creating um, compositions on their own and then just shoving them into games regardless of the context. So Matt Furness, a master of FM synthesis, now on the Sega Genesis on a game for Mighty Max. And also a master of heating its home. Um, oh, Furness. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the ending theme from Mighty Max composed by Matt Furness. Our best thing ever. That's super good. Yeah, it's really good. Hey! So this is the ending theme from the game Mighty Max for the Sega Genesis, composed by Matt Furness. Um, so Matt Furness also composed for one I wanted to choose for today, which was Daffy Duck in Hollywood. Yeah, I remember you were like, ah, oh, I gotta pick this track, but I already chose it before. I was like, well, pick another one. He's like, you know what? <laughs> I just want to go to another game at this Matt, point. Matt Furness is just done. He's so good at creating these really heavy, like electronic sounding like almost industrial beats but these really like fun uplifting um lead melodies he's really good at it i'm not gonna lie i kind of wish i played this game i've never played the mighty max game but one thing to be said about a lot of these video games where they are based off of cartoon properties like even though they give them weird abilities sometimes they didn't have them they typically try to keep it somewhere within the realm of what the character could do 
so that he was effective using abilities that the kids were familiar with. All right, so what... Mighty Max. Mighty Max? You got to tell me about Mighty Max. All right, so Mighty Max was a show... Which I'm sure was going to happen anyway. <laughs> oh, you better believe it. I can't not talk about Mighty Max. Right. So Mighty Max was a cartoon where the main character was a teenage boy because we had to feel like we could also be him. And funny thing, it was an offshoot of Polly Pocket, the old 80s toy. Oh, no kidding. Yes. The little tiny, the... little tiny like dolls, but they were like the size of my thumb. Yep, it was right. the boy's version, quote unquote, <laughs> of Polly Pocket. And the premise of the show, uh, which 90s. was meant to capitalize off of the toy, or vice versa, depending right. on how you look at it, was that Max was a typical teenage boy who one day gets gifted a red baseball cap in the mail from a mysterious stranger. This cap gave him the ability to go between various dimensions and worlds, using his cap to create portals to go back and forth. And it turns out that he is a prophesized protector of the cap, keeping it from the man known as Skullmaster. And he is helped by a talking bird, who is also a scholar, and a massive, muscular guy named Norman, who is an immortal swordsman, who <laughs> kicks the crap out of any and everything, except spiders, which he is strangely terrified of, for reasons within the show's well, context. It humanizes the character. Oh, no, no. <laughs> in this case, it's very relevant to the show. Like, I don't want to spoil it in case anyone here is... Are you, spoil, are you worrying about spoiling Mighty Max? Good point. I don't have <laughs> Everybody to. Here? It's an ancient show. Anyway, the point is, remember how early we were saying how the turtles were like, they kind of wanted to tone them back because they didn't want kids to think, you know, violence and stuff. Well, this show, for a hero who had no powers but the teleportation ability of his cat, the show itself did not treat kids stupidly at all. The beginning of every episode typically featured an introduction of the episode's villain and some human likely being murdered by it. Sometimes multiple humans being murdered by. It. In fact, violence was depicted in such a way on that show for it to not even display blood, typically, that parents complained about it. Which, to me, for a 90s cartoon, is a plus. Because I like when cartoons do not take kids to be stupid. Yeah. And this show does not do that at all. It's very intelligent. They deal with some legitimately major problems. And fun fact, since I'm, we're not worried about spoiling the show, but it's still worth watching. The Wait, way the show wraps up... I might watch this tonight. Come on, man. You're still going to... You still should watch it. So the idea... Also, for the record, I believe Skullmaster, the villain, was voiced by like Tim Curry or someone who sounds really close to Tim Curry. Um, the end of the series turns out that the reason why Norman was afraid of spiders is that he has seen like prophes uh, prophesized murals that depict the events, and he can beat anything, but he gets killed ultimately by a giant mutated spider. And he dies using... Uh, stalling for time for Max and Virgil to escape from the spider and it ultimately kills him. And then Virgil dies by Skullmaster's hand. Like, so two main characters get murdered on the show. And what ends up happening is that Skullmaster is about what? to just pretty much keep, like, pretty much control time and space using the, both the cat and his staff. <laughs> Max intercepts him as he's doing it. And he absorbs some of the power of the staff and uses it to reverse time to go back to the very first episode of the show. And he realizes after a, a quick series of events what happened, he goes, now that I know how it's going to play out, I can do it right this time and save my friends and save the world. And that's how the show ends. Got to go back, Max. You got to go back. back. You got to save time. The children are assholes, Marty. <laughs> we did the Flux Capacitor Cat. <laughs> but it was just such a fantastic show. And like it's up there for me in the ranks of things like Bobby's World and like 
other shows. I mean, well, Ma- Mighty Max was like a Sunday cartoon, right? It wasn't just a Saturday morning. No, Mighty Max was a Sunday show more yeah. so. Yeah. But it was just so good. And funny part was alongside another show called Fantastic Max, which was nothing like Mighty Max. That's the one. It involved diapers. Yeah, the little baby goes into space, right? Yeah. With his toys. Confused, yeah. And it and every it almost always involved him solving a problem using poopy diapers. I don't know how that worked, but it did somehow, and it was effective. All right, so we're going to move on out of uh, the Genesis territory, and where are we going to next, Bruno? Well, then, I suppose we can go to... I know we said we wouldn't, but I lied. We're going to the arcades now, baby. Yes. For a game that is with a show so iconic that it's still on the air today, and that is from the Simpsons arcade game, and it's the Stage 1 theme for the Springfield level, composed by Norio Hanzawa. It's so... It's like, you don't think you've heard this song, but if you played this game, you put so many quarters into it, it's like somewhere in the back of your mind. Oh, this game in my childhood go way back. This is the first game I ever played where I actually found myself out in the art in like the mall hallway begging for money. <laughs> because we were all playing through the game together. We got to Dreamland, which was stage five out of eight. I had run out of money. But I wanted to see the game through. And my mom wasn't hooking me up with anything, so I had to go out and panhandle for quarters in the arcade in the, in the mall atrium. I managed to get enough money to come back and play through most of Mr. Burns. But it was just an amazing thing to just try to experience this game with my friends. And now I just it was one of those. It was like the Ninja Turtles, where the experience was meeting new kids or being with your friends and just playing through the entire thing. The entire game. Even though all these games are pretty much the same thing. And you want to think it's funny, really interesting about the Simpsons arcade game? It was made before most of the Simpsons mythos even existed. I didn't even think about that. Right, because like a lot of the, uh, the, the stuff that happened in the show was just like Krusty the Clown, Mr. Burns, and like that was it. Everything else they just sort of came up with. Yeah, like they, like the, like one level game was like Dreamland, and they were like using like the bad boy Bart image as one of the enemies. It was like Demon Bart's spraying with electric balls from like from like pikes. But like the show, the game came out around like season one of The Simpsons, so it had its Tracy Allman bit and a few season one episodes. And now this game exists. So Bart Simpson is still the main character. Yes, Bart was still <laughs> the main character yeah. this time and age. Um, Doctor Monroe was like a little side character that handed out donuts for health. Um, Sideshow Bob wasn't a villain yet. He was just a dude at Krusty Land playing with a, well, I guess a kazoo or whatever you call those things. A weeroo. Um, but it was, even with that being not so much of the series in play, they still did so much with this. Smithers was still black. Oh, that's right. Yes. When did that change? Season two. Season two. But first season, Smithers was to a black To what man. end? We, I don't know. He went yellow. <laughs> but uh, the premise of the game was basically that, and I don't know why this was even a premise, but they made it work. Um, Mr. Burns is coming out of a jewelry store yes. with his henchmen, because he had henchmen at this point. And I guess they were stealing a priceless diamond. And Homer and the henchmen bump into each other. Maggie's pacifier, who he was holding at the time, goes up in the air with the diamond, and Maggie catches the pacifier in her mouth. I'm oh, sorry, the diamond in her mouth, and won't let it go. So the, the villains just take Maggie because they want the money. So the Simpsons go through eight perilous stages, beating up random denizens of Springfield. Right, they um they fall off a cliff and they have like a weird dream. Twice, s- twice, where they go into a weird dream sequence, which is bizarre. 
They go to they, they, they go to Moe's underground seedy subsection of his bar, which is I would always hope that would be an episode. And the and the boss of that stage, I'm oh, sorry, the sub boss, but the main boss was like the weird drunk that wasn't Barney. Right. Uh, but it was like a like a tall guy and a short guy. They were both wearing like crazy suits. And one of the attacks was the big guy would grab the tiny guy's tie and like throw him while holding the tie, basically choking the guy and throwing him across the room to punch at the Simpsons. It was such a weird well, game. Well, one fact for you, which you may not know, which is really important with the Simpsons arcade game, is this is uh, produced by Konami. Mm-hmm. Um, Norio Hanzawa then left with part of the developers and composers from uh, Konami and went to form the, ba- the, the band. <laughs> the the, um, the, the Hanzawans! The, the company called Treasure. Really? Right, so Norio Hanzawa had to change his name that he used into Kazuo Hanzawa, which is a nickname. Kazuo meaning... I have no Kazuo. idea. Kazuo. Um, and he worked on games like uh, Gunstar Heroes. See, I did not know this, and but it makes Alien a lot Storm. of sense. Yeah. Um, so, and, and so that's why this game is crazy. Like, like The game is mainly boss fights, because it's a treasure game. The, the, the developers went off to make treasure, were obsessed with having really short stages, but really long boss fights in which you would throw all your money into just to, just to defeat. And man, the bosses in this game were the stuff of legends, even back then. Like, one level, the boss was a giant crusty balloon that would just try to strangle you. Um, another level, again, had the guys that would throw the other guy <laughs> with his tie. One level was a kabuki fighter. Why, I don't know. They were in a TV studio and the boss was a kabuki fighter. I mean, again, this was a Japanese studio. Um, they went Japanese to town. composers, Japanese developers doing an American, you know, IP is insane. And it's amazing when you think of it too, because when you lay out all these like licensed properties and the games that inspired that they were written based off of, at this time, you could get away with having a game where the sole premise was you had an attack button, a jump button, and that's it. Sometimes you had a special attack by pressing the two together, and that was enough to break kids for fifty, one hundred dollars easily. <laughs> Even though each game is pretty much exactly the same, except they change the sprites around to be different dudes. Like, you look at The Simpsons, you're fighting little random yellow guys that had no real context in the show. They were just made up. Firemen and some dude with a hat. Um, then in like, Turtles, you had the foot soldiers, but they were just generic guys whose sole purpose was just to beat them up until you got to the boss who was invincible for frames of a second. Um, but we loved it. It was amazing. And now you go to an arcade, like one of our retro arcades, like the Barcade in Fishtown, for example, and you'll play these games again. And even though you know how just cheap it was to get that money out of you, how like they were just produced with this, this little bit of effort, it still works on you. You still want to sit there and mash that attack button to beat the tar out of, you know, Kabuki Simpson spiders. It was amazing. And I, for this day, I feel like that, that's an era of gaming that I almost want to have back. But when as, simplicity was enough. I know, but as adults, like that kind of gameplay is kind of boring. So it helps to have alcohol. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> anything and to kind of smooth over the experience and just sort of let the nostalgia just sort of drip into your brain a Wash little bit. Wash over you. And it's harder to finish these games now because they're not as excited to get to the end because, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work as well, you know. I think it depends sometimes, too. A lot of times it's it just, just the experience on, with on the people. Experience. Yeah. Now, so- now, here's a show that the nostalgia really never goes away for for me anyway. This is the Animaniacs. Oh. For the WB. This Those is, cats are zany. This is the map music, the studio map music in between stages where it just shows you the map for the Super Nintendo composed again by Tomoya Tamita. Nice. I thought you'd like this one. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> to the dead man sing. I'm gonna have fun with my animaniac chums. All right, so this is the WB map, uh, the WB studio map theme from the game Animaniacs for the Super Nintendo, composed by Tomoya Tamita. This uh, is some slick beat. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the when the when when the people from Warner Brothers and the people who produce Animaniacs went to um, again Konami to produce this game, they they said, "Look, this is, this is all the music from all of the, the Spielberg movies." And so mm-hmm. she went ahead and designed every track in this game to be like from those movies. So there's, oh, so these are all original cuts, but right, they were designed with right. that. Intent. There's like Indiana Jones type sounding stuff. There's stuff like it sounds like it's from Jaws. And so for this one, I think she wanted to do kind of more like adult jazz kind of thing, but she only had like 45 to 50 seconds to, to build a whole thing around it. Well, I got to say, Animaniacs as, it as a whole was such a weird, also very adult cartoon. Yeah, well, very There st- are jokes now that I'm learning about, like, wait a minute, they told that joke on the show? Well then. <laughs> but in and of itself, it was just, originally as a kid, it didn't quite click for me as much as it does as an adult. Well, I think they knew their audience, right? They knew that, that the kids watching cartoons on Saturday mornings were getting older now. Like, they were in junior high, high school, and they wanted something that was self-referential and maybe a little bit more adult. Adult. I almost said risque and adult. Who would you say was Riddle. your favorite character in the Animaniacs Ensemble? Not referring to just Yakko, Wacko, Dot. I mean, like, all the vignettes. It would be Wacko. Wacko, even Wacko. of all the other characters? Yeah, I think it's Wacko. Gotta tell you, for me, Slappy Squirrel. Slappy Squirrel. Yes! Slappy Squirrel is me, but back then. <laughs> Slappy Squirrel is me. That was mean, and she was me. She was, she, she took no crap from anybody. Not from, not from the bullies, not from, like, her creditors, not from her nephew, <laughs> nobody. She just got down to business and talked some smack, and I loved her for that. Mm. Again, surprising to be on a kid's cartoon like that, but Slappy meant business. But of course, you know, this game is just about jumping on top of enemies and killing them. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. See, the game still works, but man, just think of some of the stuff they could have done. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. We're uh, Rhythm and Pixels. You can check us out on rhythmandpixels.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Um, we talk about video games and music and technology. Honestly, we genuinely just have a fantastic good time. And it's one of those things was like when we started, it was like I wasn't sure how it would take, but it was all about having fun with my buddy here. <laughs> and as long as we could have fun, that's all that matters. And funny thing, Glad you have other people friend. liked it too. I, stop. It has nothing to do with you. It's about what other people want to see from us. I didn't know what people wanted. I barely know what I want. But it worked. People enjoyed it. Thereby, we can all enjoy it together. And it's just a fantastic time. I think you'd love it if you just checked it out. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you.